we're in the Word, we're in Exodus. If you want to get closer to God, where do you go? Talked about this last week. If you want to get closer to God, where do you go? You don't have to go to the tabernacle. That was last week's message, like the Israelites did. You don't have to go to a building. Like a lot of people think today, in our world we live in, because of the way Christianity has sort of, um, I guess, uh, evolved, if you will, over time, for the last 2,000 years, people think you have to go to a church, you have to go to a building to get closer to God. But we learned last week that the body of a Christian is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the church itself, the congregation is really the better word. The congregation is the body of Christ. So if you want to get closer to God, God is in you if you're a Christian. He dwells in you. You don't have to search far and wide. But as I talked last week, you do have to confess and repent. Confession and repentance is a normal thing that Christians do. If you want to get closer to God, I said you've got to come clean with God. If you want to get closer to God, you've got to come clean with God. Because God is holy. He is pure. We are not. We do get dirty, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, that's why Jesus, when he washed his disciples' feet, and Peter said to him, you know what? Throw it all on me. Give it all to me. Jesus is like, no, I'm just washing your feet. You're already holy in the sense of you have, you're following me, you have faith in me. But you're going to get your feet dirty, and you're going to need to get cleaned up. You're needing to come back to me for forgiveness. And because of Jesus, of what he's done, you can do that. You can be forgiven. He died for all your sins. You can get closer to God. That was last week's message. We're building on that truth today with the message called the high priest. As we look in the book of Exodus, we see that they designated a high priest. In Exodus 28, 38, and 39, those are the three chapters that we see that. But I want to, before I get into this, I really do want us, I feel like there is a, a lot of distractions going on in our world today. You've come here, you've come to worship, you, you've, you've been singing songs that were specifically chosen um, by my wife to acknowledge um, what this message is all about. It's all about one um, message here, the truth. And so I just ask you, pray with me. Pray a little differently, maybe. Sometimes when we pray, we do this. Pray with your hands open to receive the message God has for you today, that the Holy Spirit would speak to you. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your word. It, it, is, it is a joy. So many times I, I think about what I'm going to do next, and I, I think I'm going to open up your word, and I'm just going to dive in, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to see how much you love me, how much you have done for me. And that I can just lay it all down. All the, the, the stress that I have, all of the things going on in this world, that I can just hand it over to you. I can come to you freely, to your throne of grace. And today, Lord, I pray that we as a church would surrender it all to you. We would just want to hear your word for us, your truth for us. And may we be encouraged and built up today by your Spirit. May you use me, Lord, to bring your word in a powerful way, in Jesus' name. And the church said? Amen. Amen. So God's people, this is going to be kind of a neat, if you've, if you've never read the Old Testament before, maybe it's been a really long time since you heard some of those Old Testament stories, um, this is a really good recap of, of what happened in the beginning when God chose his people. See, God chose a people in the Old Testament that we call the Israelites. You see there's different names for them. They're called Hebrews. They're called 
Israelites, a lot of different uh, reasons, but I'll just tell you that the nation of Israel that we know today, the Jewish people, they all started with one family. They started with Abraham. They call him Father Abraham. You might have sung that, sang that song when you were a kid, Father Abraham. And then, yeah, okay, you know it, see? Um, but Abraham had a son named Isaac, and then Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob's interesting because Jacob wrestled with God, and God gave him a new name. His new name was Israel. And the name Israel is actually two words. It's Israel. El is God. Israel is struggles. So Jacob got this name because he wrestled with God. His name is, it means God struggles. But then Jacob also did something incredible. He prevailed. Like he wouldn't let go. He just kept wrestling all night until basically the angel touched his hip and you know, there's significance there, but God struggles is what Israel means. And I'm always fascinated by what Judaism believes because we're really, you know, we all started in the same place, and yet the difference between us, Christianity, and and Judaism is, is that they don't believe Jesus is their Messiah. They're still waiting for their Messiah. But I wanted to read this quote from their website, one of their websites, Um, they said, uh, this is what they said, here is the essence of Judaism. We believe goodness prevails. And speaking of, thinking of Jacob and the name Israel. But the happy ending is not our focus. Our focus is the struggle to get there. And if you think about history, you think about the struggle that Jewish people have had. Our focus is the struggle to get there. Regardless of the result, The struggle itself is holy. So the Jewish people understand holiness. Judaism understands holiness. It's taught exclusively in in their Torah, in the first five books of the Old Testament. It's of the utmost importance. So Jacob, also known as Israel, Jacob extended his family and had 12 sons. So when Jacob had 12 sons, That is known as the 12 tribes of Israel. His 12 sons, all their names. One particular name is Levi, and Levi is the priestly tribe. God designated that tribe, that that line from from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to be the priestly line. Who was born in that priestly line? Moses and his brother Aaron, who was the first high priest. So when God builds the the tabernacle, or gives instructions for Moses to build the tabernacle, which we see in Exodus, he did that so that he would dwell amongst his people in the most holy place. And then, to keep order and to keep helping and and, and understand how to do the offerings and all that, God designated priests. Moses set apart his brother Aaron as a high priest to take care of the tabernacle. There were other priests, but that was the first high priest, Aaron. Now, whenever I bring up priests, I like to share a couple personal stories. Um, Some of you grew up uh, Catholic. You um, understand that in that, in their uh, religion, uh, their, um, I can't really call it denomination, but uh, because you have Catholics and then you have Protestants, but in Catholicism, we'll say it that way. Priests is what they they call um, what I do, (laughs) if you will. And 
It's interesting because when I was ordained to be the pastor here at Life of Purpose Church, that's what you, you do to set apart a man to, be, um, to lead God's people. I was ordained. We had this older Catholic woman, grew up Catholic, went to Catholic school her whole life. We were a small church. Like we started in a basement, folks, okay, 2005. And when I was ordained in 2006, the first and only pastor that we've had, um, she said to me with all seriousness after my ordination ceremony, she said, are you now going to wear a black shirt and collar? And I was dumbfounded. I'm like, and I just smiled, you know. And, and, and if you know the person, you laugh because um, she uh, says a lot, does a lot of crazy things. But I said, no, no, no. I, I don't even like crew neck T-shirts, okay? I'm a V-neck guy. <laughs> I don't know how they do it, you know. I give the Catholic priest a lot of credit to wear those collars all the time. I feel like I'd suffocate. My other story happened when I was a teacher in the high school at Ford High School in Sterling Heights. Now, if you've been to Sterling Heights, you know there's a lot of Italians there. There's a lot of Catholics there. And so I had a lot of Catholic students in my class. And eventually I would share with them that I'm not just a teacher. I'm also a pastor of a church in St. Clair Shores. They're like, where's that? Like, you know, it's so far away, you know, when you don't drive. Um, but uh, I noticed when I would share, uh, because they knew I was married, I would say, you know, I'm also a pastor. Some of those Catholic students would look at me like, wait a minute, you're married? You're a pastor? Is that legal? Can you do that? You know, and, and I would kind of chuckle, and then usually before I could correct them, there would be somebody there that was, you know, would, would really, like, set them straight. Usually it was a Baptist, you know, they like... They don't just like potlucks, they like their Bible too, you know. Um, if it was a Pentecostal, I got a little nervous. I'm like, listen, don't lay hands on this uh, person here, okay? They, they might really scare them. Okay, look, I poke fun, but I'm in a prayer circle with a lot of different pastors of different denominations, so we tease each other a little bit. It's okay. Um, Christ died for one church, amen? And we all agree on that. So there's a difference, though, between priests and reverends, pastors, and the Christian churches today. But we all have one thing in common. God has called us to help you be holy. And we believe that that's a high calling. We want to help you be holy. Because that's the way God established it in the very beginning with the very first high priest. It was all about holiness. The first high priest, Aaron, God called him to help all the people of of Israel be holy, draw near to him. When you go through the book of Exodus like we did, we, we almost done, verse by verse, when you read the first five books of the Old Testament, you can't miss the essential truth. God is holy, and he desires you to be holy. So what's holy mean? It means purity, it means set apart. Really, it just simply means set apart. God set apart a nation of people to be an example to the rest of the world. And I really believe the Jewish people have done a great job of this. First of all, I'll just give you three reasons I think that. First and foremost, from the nation of Israel, from the Jewish line, is your Savior. Jesus Christ is from the line of Judah. He's Jewish, and he's your Savior. Number two, Israel meticulously preserved through their scribes the Word of God. You have a free Bible available to you. It's blue, it's in the 
seats in front of you. You can take one home. You have apps that have the Bible. We have lots and lots of different Bibles because of them, because they meticulously preserved. And the, the greatest finding you know, in our uh, recent um, history is, of course, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which confirmed that what we have, what we read, is what was originally written. That's how meticulous they were, those scribes, in copying the manuscript from the original text. So we have the Holy Word today because of the Jewish people. Thirdly, and I think this is probably the most overlooked, we have real-life examples of people trying to live holy lives in response to a holy God. I mean, we have centuries of example. You read the Old Testament, it's there so you can see, like, oh, I love Judges. Because in the book of Judges, what you see is, no, you're not going to get judged if you read the book of Judges. Okay, Judges were leaders of Israel. And basically you see this roller coaster of the people of Israel like went on a decline. Like they didn't worship God, they worshiped false idols, it, went, it got really, really bad, and then God raised up a judge, and then they got back on track. And, then, and so it's like this roller coaster of unholy, holy, unholy, holy. And we can see that, and we can learn from that, and we can grow from that. We can understand how to draw close to a holy God. All throughout the history, God has always put in place priests, specifically a high priest. In the tabernacle, Aaron was the high priest. When Solomon built the temple, Zadok was the high priest. When the temple got destroyed and Zerubbabel rebuilt it, it was Joseph who was the high priest. When Jesus was alive, it was Caiaphas who was the high priest. And all of those priests, I would summarize their responsibilities in one verse in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.2. I have it for you on the screen. Leviticus 19.2. God said, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel. Say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord God, am holy. Six different times in Leviticus, he reiterates this truth. Be holy, because I am holy. And if you think, oh, well, that's just an Old Testament thing. Uh, we won't, uh, 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 uh. let's talk about Peter. Peter, Jesus' disciple, quoted this same verse. Verse 15, 1 Peter chapter 1. But as he who called you is holy, you also should be holy, church, in all your conduct, since it's written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. So you can't miss it. God's holy. He wants you to be holy. He doesn't want you to fit into this world. He wants you to prepare for his world, which is heaven. And let's be honest. Heaven is nothing but holy. I mean, think about it. Holy angels singing holy songs to a holy God. Christians wrapped in holy robes of righteousness provided by Jesus Christ. God takes away every tear, nothing but holy smiles in heaven. I mean, holiness permeates heaven, which is why God is so serious about teaching us about holiness. Tell the person next to you, God's serious. Be holy. Look at someone next to you. Tell them, God is serious. Be holy. Holiness is important. Now, when you miss the mark, when you are not holy, and don't 
elbow that person next to you either. But when you miss the mark, there's an archer's term. An archer shoots an arrow at a target. When he misses the bullseye, they tell him or her, you've missed it to the left or missed it to the right. But they don't say you missed it. They say you sinned left. The word sin is an archer's term. Sin left, you missed it left. Sin right, you missed it right. Sin high, sin low. That's how they tell them how you're missing the targets. Every day, I sin left, sin right, sin high, sin low. Anybody else here? Am I alone? You sin high, you sin low, right? We sin. What do you do when you miss the mark? When you mess up, you fess up so you can get cleaned up. 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, God is faithful. God is just. And he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So when you mess up, fess up, God will clean you up. Is this a daily thing we do, church? It is for me. So this kind of brings me to a fundamental problem I feel like we have in Christianity today. Not every church is teaching the whole truth. There are lots and lots and lots of churches all over America And if you want to get closer to God, if you decide to go to a church, by the way, what a a tough thing sometimes. If you've been looking for a church for a while and you finally landed here, I say praise God, I'm excited for you that you you believe this is the right church home for you. But that's a hard thing. I mean, I remember when my wife and I, when we were looking for a church before we came to Life of Purpose, I mean, that's a tough thing. You know, you, 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 you are all, we're all kind of maybe sometimes looking for different things, but we're praying and we're asking God to lead us to the right place. It, it's not easy. Well, there are some churches out there, and probably I would tell you, like, if you wanted to know what's the number one criteria I would look for in a church, it would be what this person's saying right here. What are they teaching? Because Paul told Timothy, listen, the pillar of the church, the thing that holds everything up is sound doctrine, sound teaching. So if you're not teaching the word of God and the truth, get out, run. Don't come back. Some churches, okay, they will teach. You can just come as you are and God will receive you with open arms. That really sounds biblical, but it's not if you're teaching that you come to Jesus without admitting your sin. The biggest church in America doesn't teach you have a sin problem. It teaches you can have your best life now if you just come to Jesus. And the pastor every Sunday says it with a big smile on his face. And he's on TV every single week. This is the message that has infected Western Christianity. They're teaching half of the gospel. The gospel means good news. What what good news if you don't know the bad news? The bad news is we got a sin problem. The good news is Jesus died for your sins. The whole gospel is as easy as ABC. We've been teaching it to the children at VBS for all the years that I've been the pastor here. We say, how do you come to Jesus? How do you become a Christian? It's as easy as A, B, C. 
A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe Jesus died for your sins. C, confess he is your Lord and your Savior. That's why Jesus came to earth. The Son of God came, lived a perfect, sinless life, and died a perfect, sacrificial death. Because of Jesus, we have forgiveness. Because of Jesus, you are holy. When you get to the pearly gates of heaven, yeah, they're really pearly. It's in Revelation. They're going to be open if you put your faith in Jesus Christ now. And in nothing else, by the way. You can't earn your way. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. It's not your own doing. You can't work your way. It's a gift of God. If you saw the sign that we put out by the street that thousands of cars drive by every day, it says the road to heaven is by Christ alone. Right? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what it says. Check it out. Take a picture. Put it on your social media. The road to heaven. By grace alone. It's a gift. Put your faith in Christ alone. That's it. It's simple. Just as simple as that. So we've got to be excited about that. But I want to zoom into something I said that leads us back into the high priest. I said that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. That's really important. Secondly, he died a perfect, sacrificial death. Now we say that a lot. I say that a lot. We talk about that a lot. And sometimes we don't really think about what that means and why that's so important. But that's really, really significant that Jesus never sinned. Because none of us can say that. None of us can say we never sinned. We've all lied, we've all cheated, we've all stolen, we've all broken one of the Ten Commandments. We've probably broken them all. Especially when Jesus defined you know, adultery as looking lustfully at someone. I mean, guilty, right? I mean, we can't obey, we are all falling short of the glory of God, like it says in Romans 3, 23. So why is it so important that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life? Because really, that's the only way to get to heaven. So really, the only person that should be in heaven is Jesus, because he, he did it. He lived the perfect, sinless life. We can't do it. But God set up a way, starting in the Old Testament, that through a sacrificial death, you could go to heaven. And that's where I'm going. In Exodus, we see there was temporary forgiveness. We see that the tabernacle and the sin offerings and the other offerings, it could never permanently make the Israelites holy. It could, the, the Ten Commandments, the law, never permanently made them holy or even possible to keep because they all pointed to a future reality. Hebrews is a wonderful book that you should read once you understand, uh, if you've read the Old Testament. But they are copies, it says in Hebrews, they are copies and shadows, types, foreshadowing of the heavenly things to come. Let's go back to the tabernacle. Tabernacle had this outer court. Our sanctuary here is about 30 feet. Um, uh, if, if you bump our, our wall out 30 feet this way and bump our back wall out 30 feet away, that's the outer court of the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was this big, wide-open space as a whole, big, wide-open space. And in that tabernacle, in that outer court, is where the priests would 
basically do the sacrifices. They would sacrifice lambs and bulls as a substitute for the people's sins. Now you say, well, that's sad. Why do animals have to die? Leviticus 17.11. Leviticus 17.11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And if I've given it to you for an, on the altar to make atonement. You ever heard that word before, atonement? It's the way that you have, it's the process of forgiveness. How does God forgive you? He atones your sins through the blood. The blood makes atonement. Now, you're probably familiar with Hebrews 9.22, which quotes Leviticus 17. Hebrews 9.22, it says, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Because, and this is what I want to leave on the screen for a little bit, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There has to be blood to be forgiveness. I'm a basketball guy, as you know, and we had this saying, playing basketball, especially when a guy called a wimpy foul. No blood, no foul. That's what we say in basketball. No blood, no foul. All right? You draw blood, okay, all right, all right, you fouled me. But here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what the Word of God is saying. No blood, no forgiveness. Forgiveness is through the blood. So day after day, the priests made sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin, to be holy. Inside of the outer court of the tabernacle was the actual covered tabernacle, a building that was 15 feet wide. The center section right here is 15 feet wide. And all the cushy seats in the center section, sorry, our last two rows are not so cushy. We're working on it. Give more, we'll have more cushy seats. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 15 by 45 feet was the size of the tabernacle. 15 by 45 feet was the size of the tabernacle. Two parts. Holy place, 15 by 30. Most holy place, 15 by 15. Separated by a curtain, a veil. So, in the first part of the tabernacle, the holy place, the priests could or would burn incense continuously, keep the, well, as we call it, the menorah, the lampstand, lit all the time, so when the priest came in there, he could see. A table for bread, 12 pieces of bread would be put on there, the table of showbread, 12 tribes of Israel, and different priests would come in there regularly to take care of the incense and the candles. You might remember, around Christmas time, we talk about Jesus being born, and there was another guy, his cousin, who was born, and that's John, who we call the baptizer, John the baptizer. John the baptizer's dad was a priest. His name was Zechariah. And in Luke, it says that while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn the incense. Zechariah went into the holy place, not the most holy place, but the holy place, to burn incense. And while he was in there, the angel spoke to him and said, hey, you're going to be a daddy. And you're going to name him John, which confused him, and then he kind of doubted, had a little mute problem for a while. You know, if you missed it, we'll tell you again at Christmas. All right? But what separated the holy place from the most holy place was a veil, a curtain, and it was a big curtain in the tabernacle, and then, of course, in the temple later on. But 
behind that curtain, the most holy place is where God dwelled. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was, the mercy seat. And only once a year, the high priest could enter the most holy place. That day, once a year, is still remembered today by the Jewish people called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It's called the Day of Atonement because once a year, the high priest goes behind the curtain, goes through the veil or whatever, and he offers the appropriate sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins for the whole nation. You can read about it in Leviticus 16, the whole Day of Atonement. I'm going to give you a quick summary of it. They had to wear a special robe, or a special, there was actually four pieces to it. But they had their special gear as priests. But the high priest, he had something really special. He had an ephod, which is like a vest. It went kind of around his shoulders, and on his shoulders, there was two onyx stones. Each stone had six tribes, the other six tribes of Israel, engraved on it. Then he had a breastplate that had 12 stones, which is where we get the, you know, your birthstone colors, okay? The 12 stones, each engraved with one tribe of Israel. So, and then the third thing, or there was four, but the third thing that's important for this is he wore this gold crown that said, engraved, holy is the Lord. So the high priest puts on this special gear, takes like 10 baths. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but like he keeps having to clean himself. It's a whole process. The whole day he's doing this, the high priest. And what's going on is, is he's, he's going in an offering, but what he's doing is, it's symbolic of he's putting all of Israel all of their sins for the previous year upon his shoulders and upon his heart, and he's going in to meet with God, and God is atoning for all of their sin. The high priest took upon himself all of the sins of their country, of their nation, Israel, all their people, on his heart and on his shoulders, and making the appropriate sacrifice, which was a blood sacrifice, because there is no forgiveness without the, the shedding of blood. And then there was forgiveness. Now, when you understand that, because you read this in the first five books, then you read Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. Actually, you read the whole book of Hebrews, but specifically 8, 9, and 10, which I'm going to kind of hit some verses here, because Jesus is our high priest. We don't need a high priest, a man, to do what Jesus did. Jesus changed everything. You've got to check this out. Hebrews 8.1. The point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one now who is now seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. He's a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. That true tent is his body. The tabernacle that was a shadow of something greater to come, which is Christ. Hebrews 9, 11 and 12, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, his body, not made with hands, God made it. He entered once and for all into the holy places. Did he go in there like the high priest did with the blood from the calf? 
that they had the lamb, that they had, no, he didn't. He went in by the means of his own blood he shed on the cross, thus securing your eternal redemption. Hebrews 10.1. Since the law was a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of the reality, it can never, by the same sacrifice that are continually offered year after year, it can never make perfect those who draw near. Verse 11. Priests stand daily at the service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. When you finish a job, when you get the job done, what do you do? You sit down. The job is done. I'm finished. And you just enjoy it. Am I right? Yes, that's what Jesus did. Sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time until his enemies should be made a footstool of his feet. For a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's the word for being made holy. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter these holy places by the blood of Jesus. You see that? We can enter the most holy place because we have a new and living way that's been opened up to us through that curtain that is his flesh. Jesus, when he lived, when he died on the cross, something very significant happened. You probably remember it, but just to take it back for a minute, the Jewish historian Josephus wrote that Herod had improved the temple. The curtain, the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place was, was, was raised. It, it, it was at the time of Jesus 40 cubits high, which is 60 feet high. So you have a curtain that's 60 feet high, and some early traditions say that it was four inches thick. I don't care how strong you are. I've been to those strongman contests and all that. I've seen them rip phone books in half. You're not ripping this curtain in half. No man can do it. But what does it say when Jesus died on the cross? At the very moment that Jesus died on the cross, Matthew 27, verse 50, Jesus cried out, with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of that temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Isn't that amazing? He offered his body, his tent, his tabernacle as a sin offering. He opened the way into the most holy place for anyone who puts their faith in him. If you want to get close to God, you can because of what Jesus did. You want to go into the most holy place, you can because Jesus tore the veil. Anyone can draw near to God because of what Jesus did. And never again will God dwell in a temple made by human hands. It says that in Acts 17. Because Jesus is our high priest who entered the most holy place on our behalf. And here's the last three verses, some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near, let us get closer with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Our hearts are sprinkled clean from our evil conscience. Our bodies are washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. You can draw near, you can draw closer to God with a true heart because of what Jesus has done. What he has done, what he has done for you is amazing. What he has done 
for the whole world is amazing. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he took the sins upon his own shoulders, on his own heart, for the whole world. That all who put their faith in him can enter the most holy place. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. It's the best news that we'll ever hear. Amen? As our band comes up to sing this final song, if you want to draw close to God, you can do it right where you're sitting. You can bow, you can pray, you can sing out to God. You can come forward and kneel at the altar. You can just come forward and, and bow your head and pray. But don't let this time pass without drawing near to God. If God is tugging on your heart right now. Don't walk out those doors without responding to him, without worshiping him. If you've heard a truth today, and it's singing right now in your heart, it's, it's, it's over and over, come forward. Respond to God. Talk to him. Sing to him. Praise him. Amen.